We're glad that you're here this morning, and we are excited to um, bring again Gary Wright from World Renewal Ministries. Uh, as you know, Gary has been a mentor and a very precious uh, in the life of Sheila and myself and leading and directing uh, our spiritual growth. And in fact, uh, you can either thank him or blame him because he's probably one of the reasons, one of the major reasons that I am here this morning and that Sheila and I are here. Uh, Gary comes to us from World Renewal Ministries, and uh, we'll just let him uh, take over from here. And Gary, whatever's on your heart this morning, would you uh, just share with us? Well, it's great to be with you again. I don't know how long you've been coming to Willoughby Hills, but this makes about 30 years for me. And I have so many precious, precious memories. And somewhere there in the first five years when I began to come here, you began to support me and World Renewal on a monthly basis. And here we are about 30 years later. People who know me know that there's not very many times that I'm lost for words. But when it comes to thanking you today, I'm at loss for words. When you started supporting me, it was my wife and I and our four children. And now it's five continents that we support staff people around the world taking this wonderful good news message of Jesus. And that includes planting of evangelical friends churches in other countries as well in partnership with Eastern Region. So thank you, thank you. You've heard the expression, less is more. And it's true, sometimes when you subtract, you add, you amplify. You see, <clears throat> an example of that is the Bible and God and his approach of communicating himself to the world. Have you noticed that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years of silence and in that silence, extreme darkness. Darkness. In the darkness, when you subtract light, the darkness amplifies light if you just add just a little bit of light. Just a little bit. And in the quiet, in the silence, if you add just a little bit of noise, it was in darkness and in silence. 400 years that shepherds were on the hillside watching their sheep in total darkness, no electricity, only the moonlight. 
And then suddenly God broke the darkness. He broke the silence. And the shepherds began to hear the angels of heaven sing, glory in the highest. <laughs> in the town of Bethlehem is born a baby. And it was on. Jesus born, the Messiah. The darkness and the silence amplified that night on the hillside and ever since. Jesus began his ministry by going to his hometown, Nazareth, and doing what you're doing, going to church. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to just stop there a moment and Look at two words that are highlighted there. Good news. Good news comes from an ancient word. It's the word euangelion. That's the Greek text. Euangelion. And <clears throat> euangelion, if we break down that word, which Kind of sounds a little boring, but I hope I won't bore you this morning. Euangelion, can we put that up there? That slide? Until Jesus used that word, it had always been a military word. Now, Jesus had a habit, in fact, the Bible has a habit of taking words and repurposing them. And Jesus certainly did with this military term, euangelion, which you can see right in the middle of that word is a word that you recognize in English. Because that word angel means messenger. And so that's part of the word euangelion. But it's the story of euangelion, the word, that I want to share with you today. Surprise, surprise, I want to tell you a story. Where did that word come from? Of course, this is the Greek version, but in the Hebrew version, this word, this military word, here's where it comes from. You see, in the day of Isaiah, when a village went to war, and they sent off their soldier boys. Immediately, that village went into a totally different state 
of status. You see, everybody in the village knew that if their soldiers, whatever war they were fighting, if their soldiers from their village lost, it would mean loss for everyone in the village. If you were an elderly and crippled person like me, what would your future be? What do you think? It would just be death. No value. They would just kill me. If you were a woman in that village, what would your future be? It would be certain rape and slavery. If you were one of the children in that village, what would your future be? Certainly slavery. And so, when the soldiers were gone, can you imagine how the people in that village felt? And here's what they would do to deal with that. They put people on the edge of the village who had good eyesight and good hearing. Now, the only ones usually left in the village who had good eyesight and good hearing were the women. And so they would place them on the edge of the village and they were the watchers and the hearers. And what were they watching for? Some kind of message from the battlefield. Some kind of message from the battlefield. And the battlefield would send a messenger. And they were not uh, in a car or a Jeep. They were runners. Runners, sometimes for days, multiple miles. It's where we get the marathon runner. That was between the battlefield and Athens, that marathon runner. Now, can you imagine running in that day many miles? You see, they didn't have New Balance shoes. They didn't have Nikes. They had leather somethings. And so by the time they reached their destination to carry whatever message it was, we won or we didn't win from the battlefield, their feet in their leather somethings would be swollen, bloody. And the village waiting to hear, there was one word they wanted to hear, a military term used only for this moment. The word they wanted to hear was, EU Angelian, good news. We won, we've been saved, we've been rescued. 
It's good, good news, euangelion. And that's the word that Jesus used when he sat down in his hometown and looked at the people there and said, I have been anointed by the Father to bring you euangelion. That's cool, isn't it? And that's why Isaiah wrote, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring euangelians. Good news. That's the word Jesus chose, and he repurposed that completely. That's the word. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, euangelion, to the poor. He has sent me the runner. And you know what? Here this morning, as we begin this mission conference at Willoughby Hills, Jesus, the runner, has a baton in his hand, and he's handing it out, seeing who will take the baton and be the runner from heaven for me. He's asking Willoughby Hills friends to accept the baton. You, my friend, will you take the baton? Will you run for Jesus? That's the question. The good news. So what word is the good news? I mean, we know it's euangelion, but what, do, what does it mean, really? I got another ancient word for you. This is really good, too. Teshuva. Teshuva. Now, if you came to church today, which you did, and out in the parking lot, close to the doors, there were a bunch of people wearing white robes running around with a sign that said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I want you to be honest. If that was the scene out here today, what, what would have your reaction been? Would that have been okay with you? Or inside would you have gone, oh boy. <laughs> A little inappropriate, maybe. Jesus went to his hometown. He said, euangelion is why I'm here. Bring good news. And when he left, he immediately began to preach his first sermon. And his first sermon was, repent. For the kingdom of God starts today. And he preached that message over and over and over and over. Repent. Now, when everybody heard that, who was Jewish, now that word in the New Testament, of course, is in Greek, but the ancient word for repent was teshuva. Now, there's one thing I've learned about Hebrew. There's often no English comparison in words. You take a word in Hebrew and it takes a whole paragraph to define in English. And believe me, teshuva is one of those. 
Yes, Jesus said, repent. But what he also meant that all the Jewish people understood, he was saying, repent, return. Because the word teshuva, the word repent, even in the Greek means to return. Return to what? <laughs> you might say. It, it, it means to return is for the person to return to himself, to the root of his soul, and to the path. Those are actually a, a, a rabbi's description. Return to the path. You know that in Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, all the days of our life were written in his book before one of them began. We used to say in Campus Crusades, four spiritual laws. God loves you. Secondly, God has a plan for your life. There's proof from God's word. He has a plan. He has a plan for the Bagleys to be in what country? I just wanted to hear it again. <laughs> he has a plan for them. He has a plan for you. Here is the problem. God has a plan for everybody in this room. But the Bible says everybody in this room has deviated from the plan, has made a wrong turn, has, <laughs> as we say in my household, we, we chased the shiny thing, a rabbit trail, no longer on the main path, but usually chasing something that we thought was important. We thought we'd been missing something. And so we got off path. And Jesus was saying, we hear just the word repent and it almost needs that sign with the white robe, repent for the, but he was really saying, Israel, my people, just Get back on path. Return to be, he was saying to individuals, to the Pharisees or, or to those who are in deep sin, just come home. Get back on path. Most of us know John 3.16 by heart. Kind of, right? For God so loved the world. Do you know what John 3.17 says? It's probably just as important, especially if you combine it with 16. It says that Jesus didn't come into the world to, did not come into the world to what? Condemn the world. God doesn't want us to feel condemned. Nope. That's what he said. I'm, I'm quoting Jesus. We have a phrase here in America Blame and shame. Now, blame and shame is not really a part of Christianity. Blame, yes. Teshuva means I accept the blame, I've been wrong, I confess it, I did it, I was off path. Shame, Jesus said, let's not live in shame. 
I took the shame on the cross. When I died for you, I don't want you living in shame. I want you to come home. I want you to be that prodigal son that comes home and know you're not gonna live in the bunkhouse. You're coming to my house. You're not gonna live in shame because I paid the price that you can come home. My grace is sufficient. Just come home. Get back on path. So here we sit today. Are you smack dab in the middle? There's a good Hoosier expression. Smack dab in the middle of God's will? On path? Most of us have been challenged at times to get off path. Right? Here's an example of how you can get off path. A few weeks ago, I was preaching this message in a little country church. And before I got up to preach, a lady got up there and she said, she was supposed to read something before I preached. And she said to the crowd, you haven't seen me around here very much lately, have you? And she said, uh, you know, when my husband Charlie died, I haven't handled it real well. I haven't been here in church like I should be. She said, but I want you to know I'm back and I'm sorry that I wasn't here. I got up and preached Evangelion and Teshuva, getting back on path. I led that lady to Christ. I prayed with her when she came to Christ. She's a very transparent lady. She's the only person I ever gone to pray with. She was standing, and I was wearing one of these, you know, face mics. And I said to her and her husband, what can we pray with you about? And she looked at me and she said, we're sinners. <laughs> okay. And I laughed like you just did, you know. And then I prayed with her. <laughs> and that was several years ago. So I knew her really well. And here I am preaching this message, this wonderful message. God doesn't want you living in shame. He just wants you to accept the blame, which she had and said, I'm sorry. I looked at Karen that day, and I said, Karen, Teshuva, baby. I said, it's tough when you lose a husband, a spouse and you got off path, but you've already stated today and accepted the blame and you're back on path to Shuva, baby. I knew I was going to share this on television in a, a few weeks later and I called her and I said, I'd like to have your permission to tell the story. She says, there's not been a day that's gone by I didn't think to Shuva. God doesn't want you living in shame. He wants us to accept the blame and ask for forgiveness. Here she was, a follower of Christ, and a serious follower of Christ, but a life situation got her off path. That happens, doesn't it? And then we make wrong choices. 
and we get further off path. Even here today, there's some of us that need to get back on path right now. Right? There's just some area in your life that's, you know, God didn't move, we did, off path. So, because of the cross, because of the grace of Jesus, his word to you today is teshuva, baby. Come on home. Come on home. Come back, accept the blame, and don't live in shame, but live in the confidence of Christ. Live in joy. Be proud that you're part of his teshuva people. Now, the Jewish people just ended, I believe, a season of teshuva. It was 40 days. It, it, it commemorated the 40 days when Moses went back up on the mountain after he had busted up the first tablets. And because he came down and they were, they were worshiping a golden calf that they had made. He said, drink that. Like, yeah. And <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> and then he went back up on the mountain for 40 days and they were down there waiting. And God's message to them as they waited in fear, wondering what's he going to do to us, we messed up. The message was Teshuvah. Repent, get back on path. Some of us need to do that today. Now, it takes a lot of guts. Excuse me. That's kind of a tough expression. A lot of courage to accept the blame. He doesn't want you, he doesn't want you to come down here and kneel at this altar or stand and live in shame, you say, well, that's kind of embarrassing. Oh, this is a place of joy. This is where you leave your sin. This is where you leave your mistakes and get to come home and get back on path. The question is, do you have the courage to do that today? Yeah, you can do it at your seat. But he said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed to confess you to the Father and the heavenly angels. No reason for shame today. <laughs> it's a privilege that some of us need to step out, come and say, God, I love you, but I got a little off path. I don't know, I don't want to put words in God's mouth, but I thought he put them in mine. When I looked at Karen and said, Teshuva, baby, come on home. I just wanted her to know he didn't want her living in shame. She was coming back. Would you be willing to come and say, God, get me back on path? We usually need his help just to get back his grace, his strength. Would you stand with me? Is there anyone here who would say, there's an area in my life I wanna get back on track as we start this conference. I wanna get back on track. Would you just simply come 
and, and stand here or kneel here and say, God, I'm getting back on track. I'm doing teshuva. I, I, I'm coming back. I'm returning. Would you just come right now? Don't be ashamed. There's no shame here. It's just accepting blame and saying, God, I was wrong. I've got off path. Don't be ashamed. This is cool. This is great. This is great opportunity. Come and leave our shame here. <laughs> Isn't that great? Come and leave our shame here. Accept the blame, leave the shame. Isn't that awesome? God, forgive me. Help me get back on path. He has a plan for your life. Do you know what it is? Come and ask him about it. Got all kinds of help around this place to help us get on path. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, what an awesome plan you have to help us get back on path. You are absolutely awesome. This is the message we have to share with the world here at Willoughby Hills Friends today. We have the good news. A God who doesn't want us to accept the shame, but took it on himself on the cross. You are awesome. Meet our needs, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I want to encourage those of you at the altar, just stay as Pastor Steve comes. Thank you for listening and thank you for helping me do this and many others for 30 years. Thank you. As you go this morning, remember there are folks praying here at the altar, but I encourage you also to stop out and visit all the tables and express your appreciation to those who are here and giving their time uh, over this next few weeks to be with us. Let's pray before we go. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that draws us back to you. Father, forgive us where we've taken those rabbit trails, where we've turned and gone against your will, against your word, against, Lord, what we know is right. Lord, draw us back to you. Lord, may Teshuva be our call today. Whether we are close to Christ, far away from Christ, or Christ-centered, Lord, there are times that we need to come to you in repentance. Thank you for taking the shame. Lift us up. And fill us so we can walk with you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And go with us now, Lord. May, may we, as we go into our communities, into our homes, be the ones who can look and to face those around us and cry out, good news. Evangelion, we have good news. Guide and direct us as we go. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.
Amen. Please go quietly as those are praying here at the front. And thank you for coming.